Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Imagine you're on the Family Feud game show, and the guest comes up to the desk, and he leans over and gets a little too close in your personal space, and he asks you the question. He says, we've surveyed 100 families to ask them what they think is a good idea, but they still don't do. Can you give us one of the top five answers? Uh, What is it that you would say? Uh, Well, chances are, if at that moment you said, having a budget, Uh, you would have the number one answer. Because there's no one who really believes. You know, we we can neglect at paying attention to our finances and expect everything to turn out fine. You know, just spend what you want. Uh, Try not to be excessive, but whatever you do, don't define excessive, and you'll be all right. You know, we would roll our eyes and laugh uh, as 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 we thought about this if it wasn't the reality in which so many of us tried to live. Uh, But the subject, even though it's unpopular, we try to ignore it anyway. And the question is why? Well, some of us think it's just too complicated. I I was never that good at math, and and I don't like details. Or maybe we think it's just going to take too much time because we think it's complicated. Or we think it's just going to create arguments. And, And maybe it does, but... Usually that's because we let it stockpile up on us or because we begin to value things more than we value relationships and so we compete with one another. Uh, For other people, it's because we don't think we're going to be able to agree on it. And we realize that having a budget radically influences the level of trust within a marriage, but we think somehow we can ignore this important issue and trust is going to be there anyway. Or sometimes it's just because we don't want to tell ourselves no. And we neglect the fact that everything that we put in the budget is a yes. And we just tend to focus on all the things that are outside the budget, which are uh, our no's. Now in this seminar, we're going to attempt to tackle this subject uh, in five segments, five chapters, if you will. In the first chapter, we're going to look at why is budgeting hard? And at that point, we're going to look at the kind of challenges that we either tend to miss or exaggerate. In the second chapter, we're going to look at what is a budget. Because I'm convinced that budget is one of those words that we all use, but few of us know what we mean. It's kind of like when we say, you know, I've got a problem, but I'm just working through it. If a friend tells you that they're working through their problem, and you say, what does that mean? Chances are you're going to get a response like, I don't know. It means back off and leave me alone. I don't want to talk about it. Because we don't know if it means I'm writing in my journal, I'm reading scripture to find out what it has to say on the subject, I'm going to a counselor. I'm working on it usually just means I'm hoping it will go away if I ignore it long enough. And oftentimes, budget is a word like that. In chapter 3, we're going to look at creating a budget you will actually use. My conviction is this. If it takes more than 30 minutes a week to operate our budget, we're not going to do it because it's too intrusive in our lives. In chapter 4, we're going to look at getting out of debt and finding financial freedom. 
Now, that's not the end goal. That's not the ultimate part of budgeting, but it is an essential part. If we are in financial bondage, we are not going to be able to do with our resources those things that God gave us our resources in order to empower us to do. And then finally, in chapter 5, we're going to look at how a budget, how running our finances God's way can transform our character. Because the end goal of money is not wealth, it's influence. Our calling as Christians is not to be the wealthiest people on the planet. Our goal is to change the world. That is our calling from God. And finances is one of the things that allows us to do that when we operate those finances the way that God called us to. And so now we come to chapter 1. Why is budgeting hard? What are those obvious and not so obvious things that trip us up and we just try to ignore? Here's the big idea of this chapter. We're not going to solve a problem with the same kind of thinking uh, that we use to create it. You know, we don't face financial challenges because we have document deficiency or inadequate math skills. Now, we're going to look at some documents, and the math skills needed to run a good budget, usually we had those by about third grade. But the question here is, why do we consistently not do something that we know is important? Why would we look at something that if we know we neglect this, it's going to harm our marriage, it's going to create bondage in our life, why would we, why would we not do that? Because we all know the statistics. Uh, almost every survey on divorce says financial problems are the number one cause of divorce. But here's my contention for you. If we begin to run our finances in a way that works well, then the number one cause of marital divorce can become the number one cause of marital unity and trust and a joint vision and passion that becomes an intensely romantic and unifying part of a marriage. And so as we get ready to do that, uh, let's look at a quote here from John Henderson. He says, The problem isn't primarily about money and budgeting. Money and budgets are simply the topics of dispute. Now, in the first chapter of the notebook that you have there, there's going to be uh, 20 different things that make budgeting hard. We're going to look at a few of them. Uh, the first one is this. Life changes. Uh, whatever I write down in my budget this month, chances are 12 months from now or 6 months from now, it's not going to be the same thing. The numbers are going to change. The price of gas is going to go up. What my income is may fluctuate. Uh, the price of groceries are going to change. There's going to be lots of things that change. And so one of the things that there is about a budget is we need a budget that is easily updated. Uh, a budget is a living document. It has to be able to grow and change as life does, or else once we hit the second or third bump in the road where the where life alters on us, we're not going to continue to use it. Now, uh, when it comes to making a budget, this is where oftentimes we get frustrated. And if I could create a parallel example here for a moment, I would say it's like when I learned to ride a bike. Uh, I'm from a small town, and so we didn't have uh, a safe paved road for my parents to teach me to ride a bike on. They taught me to ride a bike on a gravel road which is a horrible idea, not something at all I would recommend for you as parents to do with your children. But here's what that experience of riding a bike for me was like. Uh, we were on the family farm, and from where we started to the first barn was about 200 yards. 
And in the time that it took me to get up on my bike, pedal twice, fall down, scrape myself up, cry, gather my courage, get back on the bike, in the time that it took me to go that first 200 yards, I could have walked to the other side of the farm and back twice. Uh, At first, riding a bike was not more efficient than walking. And, And I would look at my parents and I would say, is this really worth it? And they would look back at me with this sense of, yes, it is, you're going to love it. And riding a bike really was a superior mode of transportation to walking. I could get farther, faster, enjoy it more as I went than when I was walking. But there was a time of learning uh, where I doubted that. I think for many of us, that is where we quit on our budget, is when we realize, you know what, this is taking too long up front here. Uh, The average time to get started with a budget is usually about three months. Those first three months are hard because we're learning to use the instrument. We're trying to make the numbers match up to where it represents where our life is right now. But in the same way that riding a bike was superior to walking, having a budget is superior to not knowing what's going on with my finances. And the other thing that you'll find as you get used to using a budget is that it is a great document for stimulating good marital conversation. Because all the primary changes that happen in your life usually show up in one form of another in your budget. And so as you do this together as a couple, great conversations are going to begin to happen. Now there's a second challenge that we face, and that's fluctuating incomes. You may look at me and say, you know what, my my income doesn't stay the same every month. I work on commission, or I have a job that there's good seasons and bad seasons just based on the type of work that I do. Uh, And I can look at you and say, I have been you. For the first eight years, once I finished my graduate program, I worked at a nonprofit counseling center where the commodity that I used in order to provide uh, for my family Uh, was on a donation basis. I would counsel, and there was the freedom for people to give whatever they could afford for that income. And what came home to my family was 70% of whatever it was that I got through the counseling that I did and the teaching that I gave. And so we didn't know as a family what was going to come in on any given month. And I can tell you it was more important than ever for us to have a budget. Because if you don't have a budget and you are an entrepreneur... what you will try to do, what I would try to do, is I would try to out-earn my stupidity. I would spend thinking I could work harder and make up for it. And that uh, that is a recipe for debt and conflict and marital division. Now here, part of what we have to realize is that a budget is just for your normal expenses. It's not for those albatross expenses that pop up and they're not the same each and every month. We're going to talk about in chapter 5 what we do with those abnormal expenses. But your budget, your monthly operating budget, are for those expenses that you can predict that are going to happen each and every month. That is the baseline document that you need to have as a family. And your normal expenses should be able to be covered by whatever your low month is. I had an idea of what the low month was when I was in that nonprofit setting operating a counseling center. And our standard budget was set to that low month. And when we had better months or when we had a five-week month, then in chapter five we'll talk about what we did with that extra money to make sure it went to where we wanted it to go to and it created unity for us as a marital couple. 
Now, another one of those obstacles that we face, it's number 12 on the list in your notebook, is that we want the best for everyone. I want the best for my wife. I want the best for my kids. I want the best for my parents. I want the best for everybody in my life. And so what happens is, is I feel like I have to give them all I can. Even in which if I give each person all I can, all of a sudden it takes more than all I have. Now, this is where going into debt, it doesn't get motivated by uh, greed or laziness. It gets motivated by love, a form of misguided love. And what we begin to forget is that best isn't always at the end of an extreme. Sometimes best is the balance between two extremes, between being frugal and being extravagant. Because if I give my children more than my income can afford, then what I am creating is an unrealistic expectation for them about what their family income will provide. And they will go into life acclimated to the expectation that having the kind of job that my father had would provide the kind of lifestyle that we lived as a children, and all of a sudden I have brought them up in a lie. And so in this case, giving them the best is the balance between the extremes of frugality and extravagance. And there's another challenge that comes into this idea of money is just the topic of conversation. It's number 17 on your list. Money means different things to different people. Oftentimes a couple starts talking about money and it sounds like they're talking two different languages because there are real differences in how people think about money. For some people, money represents power or success, approval, God's blessing, comfort, freedom, control, security, independence. Um, it, all of those things are legitimate things to some degree that money represents in our life. But if money represents one or more of those things to you and different things to your spouse, you need to understand that when you're talking about money or you're going to have a battle when you talk about your budget that has very little to do with the numbers on the page but instead the values of your heart. Uh, now how you think about money can be uh, attributed to many different things. Uh, personality, uh, your personal financial history, your family history, uh, your level of risk aversion, how much of an entrepreneurial spirit you have, uh, your religious beliefs, or even your level of exposure to the truly poor. Um, it, let me give you just one example there. Um, it, sociology uh, has revealed that money tends to mean, um, diff or food tends to be viewed differently based upon people's socioeconomic status. Uh, those who grew up um, in a low socioeconomic status uh, in poverty tend to appreciate food based upon its quantity. When they think about having a good meal, they think about having a lot of food. They would like a buffet. Those who grew up in the um, middle part of the socioeconomic status, they tend to value food based upon taste. Uh, they, when they think of a good meal, they think of one that tastes really good. Those in the higher socioeconomic bracket tend to think of food in terms of its presentation and its rarity. And so when they sit down to a good meal, it's exquisite. It looks nice. It's a rare food that they normally wouldn't get to eat. Uh, now for me, I grew up on a small family farm 
between generations, which is that time when a family farm tends to struggle most because a family farm can support one family household well. And so when the grandfather is raising his children on that farm, it goes well. When one of those children begins to try to support his family on the same piece of land that supported one household well, it's a real trying time for a family farm. Well, when my father was growing up on our family farm and my grandfather was still alive is when I was a child. And so even though my parents didn't teach me to approach money this way, I just naturally thought of it that way. And so I would go into a restaurant, and here I would mean a a fast food restaurant, and the game that I naturally began to play was beat the menu. I, I would look and see where could you get the most money for the least, or the most food for the least amount of money, and then based upon those options that were the best value, I would choose then based upon taste. And the best place to play that game, in my opinion, is Wendy's. Because on their dollar menu, you can just, you can beat Dave to the mat. Uh, And so this was just about a year and a half ago. We went uh, after church service to a Wendy's with my family, and I'm walking up. I'm doing my normal dollar menu thing where I'm seeing how much food I'm going to get for a little bit amount of money, feeling this great sense of victory that I'm beating the value menu uh, to death over there. When all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I notice the chicken salad sandwich. It's not extravagant. It's not lobster. But as soon as I begin to consider getting the chicken salad sandwich, which is not the most food for the least amount of money, I immediately feel guilt. Now, at that point, it was a good choice for me. It was probably healthier than anything I was going to get over here. But I was having a value response to the way that I was spending money. And so we're moving up in the line, and my wife looks at me, and she says, have you decided what you're going to order? I said, I need a minute. And she looks at me kind of weird because I usually don't say that. And we're just, I'm staring at the menu and I'm trying to decide, is it okay? Would it be wrong for me to order the chicken salad sandwich? And I'm having a moral dilemma that at the moment I really don't understand why I'm getting this tore up over this chicken sandwich. Uh, And yes, I finally did order the chicken salad sandwich, but it just reveals uh, that, that case study, that example, that testimony for me how we bring our values to finances, and that as a couple, those are things that we need to talk about. And so one of the exercises that's in your notebook is just something that helps you rank those different things that I rattled off that money can mean. So the two of you can look at it and go, you know, what does money mean to me? And when we look at our budget together, what is it uh, that we're talking about? Another couple of quotes here. Uh, the first from Paul Tripp. He says, because it is built on a lie, uh, that lie being that material things can make us happy, materialism can't and doesn't work. It leaves us empty, in debt, and addicted. While taking our time, attention, and energy away from the most important human relationship in all of life. Now, another way that we say this, uh, slightly less uh, theological, more just kind of of the people kind of statement, We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know or like. Um, And what we're getting at here is one of those things that affects our budget uh, is just materialism. We say, I would feel ashamed if my standard of living decreased. Uh, We see this in the fact that it's very common for us to pay more uh, for the same item just because of the emblem or brand on it. Uh, And that's a phenomenon that requires a religious explanation. 
I'm not one who says it's bad for us to want nice things. I'm not trying to beat us up or make us feel guilty here. But when we will take two cans of beans or two shirts or two vehicles that are of the same quality and one of them just has a nicer logo on it than the other and we will spend more money for that nicer logo item, that is not something that can be explained economically. It's something that has to be explained religiously. And our budget is something that forces us to look at that and say, where am I buying into materialism? That I could spend my money more wisely, but my identity is wrapped up in things that are really inconsequential. And so I would say it this way. If you have a fire alarm in your home, you need to have a budget for your heart for the same reason. It just alerts you when something dangerous is going on that you need to pay attention to and deal with quickly. Now, another way that um, materialism comes up, or at least an expression that it can take, it's number 14 on your list, is this mantra of, we deserve it. And we begin to think, if having a budget makes me do without things that I believe I deserve, a budget is insulting, it's condescending, and it would damage my self-esteem. Yet, uh, we begin to think, we ask the question, are you saying I don't deserve to have this? And we frame our questions in such a highly personalized way that there's no way for us to tell ourselves no without insulting ourselves. And this is kind of foreshadowing the communication seminar that we do, but you can't ask badly framed questions and get answers that build unity between two people. But let me say it to you this way. Debt is not a thing to be desired. It's not something to be deserved. It's a punishment, not a reward. But in our culture, we flip that. When we receive a credit card, they tell us that we've been approved. That you've met some kind of social standing. You've gotten a promotion because you've been approved to take on debt. But when in fact debt is a form of bondage that we should dislike instead of pursue and want. So here's a statement that is uncomfortable as it is. I would encourage us to embrace. If we can't afford it, we don't deserve it. Because debt is a form of slavery. It's not a blessing. And we have to remember that. Now another quote here from John Piper. He asks us a question. He says, are you awake and free from the false messages of American merchandising? Or has the omnipresent economic lie deceived you so that the only sin that you can imagine in relation to money is stealing? And he's just saying there's there's social factors going on with our money that we are often blind to. And he's asking us, can we see it? And so just a few of those. Uh, number seven on your list, no purchase is an island. You know, it sounds like this. I got such a great deal on my cell phone. They gave it to me for free. I just had to sign up for a two-year plan. And then once I got the cell phone, I really needed the case to put it in. And there was this earpiece that I could get so that I could talk hands-free and I would be safe when I was driving. And that earpiece works really well with... And all of a sudden, one purchase leads us to another purchase, another purchase, another purchase. And increasingly, 
Our advertising culture, our marketing culture, is using this as a way to get into our budget and then wedge out a larger and larger piece of the pie. Uh, one of the ironies is that the company that first did this um, kind of got burned by it. Uh, Polaroid. If you remember the old cameras where you would take a picture and then it would spit out uh, the picture right there with you. What they realized is that if we sell our camera at cost or even below cost, as people buy our film, we're going to make so much money on the film that it's worth it to us to give the big product away at cost, small profit, or even at a loss so that we can get into people's household and into their budget. And now we do everything that way. We sell razors that way. You'll get the razor, the most expensive part of it, for free or very inexpensive just so you'll buy all the replacement blades. Uh, cell phones and everything else, toys for children. If they can give you that first toy in a collectible set so that your children will want all the rest of them, what just happened to be on the picture on the back of the package, it, they try to find that wedge and expand. And we need to realize that this is a marketing strategy. Um, it, when we think about a purchase, we don't need to think just in terms of the purchase price, uh, but also... Uh, the cost of ownership. Because marketers realize something that we try to ignore. It's not just that we own our purchase. It's that our purchases also own a part of us. And when we, when we make a purchase, we are giving a piece of ourselves to whatever it is that we are buying. We are giving our time and our money and our affection and we just need to be aware of that. We don't need to be fearful or paranoid. I'm not angry at those in the marketing industry. We just need to be aware of it. Uh, also here, no, we don't have a time margin in our life. We begin to say, I'm too busy to budget. In order to spend less, I'd have to do less, and I'm just not willing to do that. Because uh, here's the principle. If we live beyond our time needs, if we have a 168-hour week and we try to cram 200, 250 hours worth of stuff in that week, there is no way that we're going to live beyond our time means and live within our financial means. And here's the part that, that is so ironic to me about this, is that even as we complain about being exhausted and having too much to do, and God in His mercy looks at us and says, yes, I want to give you freedom. I want to give you the liberty to do less. Don't feel like you have to do everything that you're doing to give everybody in your life the best and every opportunity that they have. We begin to get offended at God even as He tries to relieve us from one of the primary burdens as we say, God, I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. Help me. And even as He tries to free us from that, we resist Him because we want to do it all. And we want to live in a life with no time margins. And this is where doing a budget will affect our schedule. Now, another cultural piece is that it's becoming less painful to spend money. Most of us don't even realize all the time that we're spending money. Uh, because we, we just swipe a card. Or we have expenses on auto draft. Now, I will tell you, this is very intentional on part of the banking industry. They have researched this and they have realized that 
every step that they can take between spending and real money, we will spend 10 to 20% more. And so when we went from cash to checks, the average spending when you go into a store went up by 10 to 20%. When we went from checks to credit card, it goes up by 10 to 20%. If we can even get it away from a credit card and you just swipe your phone, spending goes up by 10 to 20% because we don't feel the pain associated with giving the money that we've earned. Now again, I'm not mad at them, but I think it's something that we need to be aware of because they have a master's in business administration and we've never had a class on how to spend our money. We're at an educational disadvantage that unless we wake up and say, wait a second, they're doing this on purpose to get us to spend more money because their product is debt. Think about it. What is the product of a bank? It's debt. What is the product of a car salesman? It's a car. What is the product of a bank? It's debt. That's how they make their money to build those really big, nice brick buildings. They're selling us a product that we don't realize it's a product. We think they're giving us affirmations when we've been approved for the credit. And so you say, what do I do with that? I begin to realize that every time I spend money, I'm spending real money. And as I associate the expenses that I do with the money that I've earned, even though that it creates pain, It's actually a good form of pain that teaches me self-control. Now, one final quote here. Uh, This is from John Piper. Uh, He says it's remarkable uh, that the writer of Hebrews, and here he's talking about Hebrews 13, 4 and 5, puts money and marriage in the marriage bed side by side. The pursuit of power and pleasure mingle in these two areas as in no other. And here's another part of budgeting within a marriage. Our resources, our pleasures compete for resources. That if I say yes to me, it often means having to say no to my wife. And when my wife says yes to something, it is, has an, rip, a trickle-down influence on my expenses where at some point I have to say no to something. Yet, um, the... Um, And here's where we get to that spot where we we begin to ask the question, what is the difference between competition and sacrifice? The difference is love. Uh, It's trust. Uh, Here's a definition of trust uh, that I think is worth remembering. Trust is the belief that your spouse takes greater pleasure in your pleasures than in his or her own. If our family is going to operate well, on a budget, then my wife needs to be able to rest assured that I take greater pleasure in her joy than I do my own. Because that is what will allow her to trust me when we make decisions in our finances. If our family is going to operate well, I need to have a trust that my wife takes greater pleasure in my joys than in her own. Because this powerful thing called money That is what is going to be required in order for us to administrate a budget well. Now you ask me, do couples really think this way? I'll be very honest with you, and I will say no. Not naturally. 
Not on our own. We don't. That's why we've taken this subject of finances and we've said it has to be placed in the context of creating a gospel-centered marriage. Because what is it that teaches us that it is more blessed to give than receive? It's the gospel. It is to realize that Christ has already given us everything that we need for lasting joy. And there's nothing that can be added to what He has given us that would make it better. And that that was a gift from Him that He purchased on the cross when we did not deserve it at all. And I live in celebration and gratitude of that gift. And it affects the way that I think of every other area of my life, including my marriage and my finances. And until that begins to permeate, then will I think this way when it comes to the competition of resources and pleasure? No, I won't. And it's something that my wife and I have to remind ourselves of regularly. Or we view ourselves not as people on the same team working together for God's glory and His purposes, but we begin to view ourselves on opposite teams as competing with one another, trying to get the most out of life that we can, that we would enjoy. Now, similar to that, on the pragmatic level, uh, another challenge is that you have four hands in one pot. Uh, If you have teenagers, you have more than four hands in one pot. You have multiple people spending out of the same account. And that requires some administration uh, because it, marriage is an organization. And therefore, it requires a little organizational management and a little bit of understanding of corporate finance because you have multiple people spending out of one budget and the mindset is just going to be different than when you were single and there was one person spending out of one account. Now, this doesn't have to be complicated. Honestly, it shouldn't be complicated, and if it's complicated, you won't use it. So here are the key points uh, that need to be present for a marital budget to work, and these are things that we've worked into what we're going to recommend to you. There needs to be one place where the records are kept, and that place needs to be understood by both husband and wife. Uh, that, that place where the records are kept, it needs to be... Um, It needs to be organized into categories where it's clear what each expense stands for. And it needs to be accessible to both people to review when needed. If we can accomplish those four things, then our budget will overcome this obstacle of having four hands in one's pot and some of the organizational challenges that are presented in a marital budget. Now there's a couple of other challenges that I think we just have to lay out there on the table. Uh, Number 11 on your list. Sometimes we don't budget for the simple reason that we're lazy. We just say, I'll admit it. I don't want to do it. It's going to take time and I just, I don't enjoy it. I don't want to do it. Well, honesty is the best place to start there. Uh, The only other option is to make excuses or to blame other people when financial problems come up. If that's our struggle, then our goal here is to present a form of budgeting that will be as easy to use as it can be, but it will take a level of diligence and self-control. Now, probably the most common reason people don't budget, it's the last one on your list, uh, is simply procrastination. We'll, We'll do a budget when? We'll do a budget when we get that next promotion. We'll do our budget once the kids get in school. We'll do our budget once the uh, kids get out of school. We'll do our budget when. There is only one time 
to start a budget. Uh, and that's now. Um, but here's my encouragement to you. You've already started. Uh, more than just starting, you've started wisely. Uh, instead of just trying harder at whatever it is that you did before that hasn't worked, you're here uh, to, learn from, uh, to learn from the collective wisdom of many authors and, and someone who's walked with many couples through this process of creating a budget that they would actually use as a couple. And here's where that aspect of being a gospel-centered approach to finances comes out again. Because the gospel is not a whip that just hits us and says, try harder, try harder. Try harder is not a gospel phrase. The gospel says, it is God speaking to us saying, come to me, learn what I have for you. I am available and eager to teach you. I want to bring you into a community of people where things that you would normally hide in terms of shame and isolation, you can have conversations and honesty with and learn from the collective people who have the same values and priorities and vision that you do. And so a gospel-centered approach to marriage isn't try harder. It's come and see. It is learn from me. It is find the life that I have for you. Resting in the fact that God will equip and empower us to do everything that is essential to live the life that He has called us to live.